Garrett, would you please read Psalm 46 for us? Six. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought, desol brought desolations upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask, well, first of all, we just want to recognize your presence here. Um, I say here, your presence is everywhere. And yet to your people, you make your presence known with a particular clarity, especially as we engage your word, as we hear your word, as we wrestle with the scriptures. And so we ask that in the uh, next several minutes, you would make yourself increasingly vividly real to us. Will you teach us, will you prepare us for this season that we're in? And will you make us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, equip us to describe him well, and grant us to reflect him in a way that contributes to the flourishing of our city? We ask these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, everybody. Um, can you please uh, turn back to page 10 in your service sheets? We're going to be looking at Psalm 46. Um, and uh, you can also open your Bibles. Uh, the Psalms, I can't tell you what page number they are on, but um, they're probably, well, they are, Psalms are always right in the middle of the Bible. So open up to Psalm 46. And while you're turning there, um, here's the question that's really up for me. Uh, this morning. <clears throat> and it's not going to be a surprise. The question is this, how can we here at Emmanuel Church, distributed throughout the city with people uh, all over all over the world listening in, um, how can we cultivate courage uh, in the midst of the crazy? You, you understand why I asked that question. How do we uh, become a people who are deeply marked by courage, despite the fact that we're surrounded by circumstances that are uncertain, that are distressing, despite the fact that many of us feel, to some extent, vulnerable. Now, again, the obvious reason <laughs> I'm asking that question is because this has been a bonkers week. I mean, just for a second, look at where, where, where you are at, look at where I'm at, I I have never preached a sermon from my bedroom. Um, like everybody thinks that's weird. Um, certainly, certainly I do. Uh, and wherever you're at right now um, is becoming a church. Did you know your living room is now a church? Um, 
your bed, maybe your bedroom and your living room and your kitchen is all the same room. It's a church now. Did you see that coming? There you go. This has been a weird week. And when you're living in uncertain times, that creates a sense of a vulnerability. And vulnerability creates distress. And therefore, we need courage, don't we? Um, however, there's a more important reason why we need courage, Emmanuel. And here's the more important reason. This is a tremendously important moment for us as a church. Why do I say that? Here's why I say that. Um, remember, you knew I was going to say this. Remember Emmanuel's vision. Emmanuel exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. Now, one of the things that means, especially the reflecting Jesus part, one of the things it means is this. We want our city to look at us, but not really notice us. We want our city to look at us, but notice Jesus. We want our city to notice his beauty and his truth and his goodness. Um, in other words, we want the city to look at Jesus and find the hope and the healing and the reconciliation and all the beautiful gifts that Jesus has given us. That's what we want. Now, if there was ever a critical moment for us as a community to reflect Jesus well, it is now. And therefore, we need courage. We need Jesus's courage. Because without courage, the deep risk is that we'll all just kind of crawl in a hole or prioritize self-protection above everything else. And if we do that, um, whatever else we may accomplish, we will not reflect Jesus well, and we will miss our mission. We need courage. How do we get it? Well, Psalm 46 is a perfect reading for answering the question, how do we develop courage? Take a look at it. And start with verse 2. And I want you to notice the defiance in this psalm. Verse two says this, therefore we will not fear though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Do you hear the defiance? Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Pause. In your imagination, go into the imagery. Mountains, the ocean, the sea. Imagine your favorite mountain range. Imagine your favorite ocean. Um, Part of the beauty of mountains and seas, not all of it, but part of it, is that they're permanent, right? Mountains don't move. Seas don't move. Except if you're a geologist, I know, geologists know that they move, but for the rest of us, they don't move. And in fact, that's part of their beauty. They're, they have a timelessness and an agelessness that contributes to their beauty. It's, their beauty is in their stability. However, do you know what's scary? Lots of things. You know one thing that's scary? When something that you thought was permanent and stable falls apart, that's scary. I mean, consider like if you, if you were looking at your favorite mountain range and all of a sudden it began to blow apart and fall down and crumble and rage, and then you looked at the sea and you saw that all of a sudden it was retreating and it was evaporating or something weird like that, that would be petrifying because something stable has fallen apart. Now that's part of what has happened this past week. Um, that's part of what's been happening in this city. Things that we thought were stable have become insecure. Um, things like health 
and the economy and travel. All these things that we thought were stable began to fell apart and, and that feels scary. But keep that in your mind and go back to Psalm 46 because what's striking again about this Psalm is it's defiance. It is so defiant. Verse two, therefore we will not fear despite everything going crazy. Now, Emmanuel, don't you want that kind of courage? And more importantly, can you imagine how great a gift it would be to our city at this moment for us to be a church full of people with a deep, settled confidence, a confidence that is steady and stable despite circumstances that are going crazy and are unpredictable. Now, where does Psalm 46's courage come from? How do we get some? Well, three things. You knew it was going to be three things. It's always three things. First of all, cultivate a memory. Look at God in the past. Secondly, cultivate a, an awareness. Look at God in the present. And thirdly, cultivate an expectation. Look at God in the future. Uh, first of all, cultivate a memory. Look at God in the past. Go to verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, slow down and look at that again. Do you see the words very present? That could be translated uh, just as well, well proved. So that the verse could read like this. God is our refuge and strength, a well proved, well tried help in trouble. Means he has a good track record. Now, <clears throat> think with me. Um, this Psalm uh, imagines ancient Israel singing to the Lord. And ancient Israel in this situation is in a sense watching the world around them fall apart. The mountains are falling, kingdoms are raging, but at the same time that they're watching the world around them fall apart, they're also looking backwards. They're looking back in time. This Psalm has this huge long memory. And when the people singing this psalm look backward, they see a God with a remarkably good track record. And that's the first key to cultivating courage. You have to learn to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Now, slow down with me. Because Christian courage, uh, the courage that Jesus wants us to develop, is it, it's counterintuitive, Okay. Um, see if you can identify with this. It seems to me that the most, in, the most intuitive way to kind of navigate life and make decisions goes something a little bit like this. I look at my present circumstances. I observe the present. Then I observe the present in light of my personal experience. Um, Jim has been alive for 42 years. I have 42 years worth of information, track record, that I bring to bear on whatever... Uh, circumstance I'm facing right now, right? And, and given my personal experience, my uh, 42 years of living, that gives me uh, a framework to analyze the cost-benefit analysis of any question, uh, decision I might have to make. Now, that makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe some of us think that that's the only way to make a decision. However, Christian courage and Christian decision-making works a little bit differently. Christian courage looks not just at my personal life experience, and not even primarily. Christian courage looks at God's past. 
the experience of God's people with God over the many thousands of years, millions of years, whatever, that God and God's people have been walking together. And that's what this psalm does. This psalm says something like this. I know that I can trust God now in the present because I can look back at how he has proved faithful in the lives of countless billions of his followers who have gone before me. And that's why I say this psalm has a huge memory. And we are to interpret the present, not just in light of our personal experiences, but we are to interpret the present in light of God's past. And that's when we see that God's faithfulness is big enough to deal with things like mountains crumbling and seas drying up and super scary health crises. So let me ask you a question. Emmanuel, how long is your memory? Every single one of us needs a memory that is bigger than our personal life experience. I mean, think about it. No one has lived enough life to deal with life. No one has enough life experience to deal with everything that life may throw at us. We need a bigger memory. And that's part of the uh, gift of scripture, part of the gift of the Bible. One of the gifts of the Bible is that it expands our memory so that we have a memory of God's faithfulness that is bigger than our own personal life experience. It means that we can read the story of Ruth when she was going through absolutely unimaginable economic uh, difficulty, and we can see how God was faithful to her, and it can give us uh, um, uh, hope for our present experience. And we can look at David, and we can look at um, uh, the Apostle Peter, and we can look at Moses and the life of Israel, and also we can look at the 2,000 years of Christians, Christian saints who have walked before us faithfully, and we can look at their lives, and that can become part of our memory that allows us to trust God now in the midst of very scary circumstances. So, Emmanuel, how big is your memory? To expand it, saturate yourself with scripture. But then secondly, if for, in order to cultivate courage, we need to look at God in the present. We need to cultivate an awareness of his presence every single moment. Go back to the Psalm, look at verse four. Actually, look at verse three. Now, I'm not sure about this. You can tell me if you think I'm reading too much in. I think this Psalm is actually designed to kind of make us feel like we're in the middle of a besieged city. Here's what I mean. Look at verse three. First, verse three is outside the city. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah, which means pause, we think. And then inside the city, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Do you notice the difference inside the city? The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Then we're back outside the city, verse six. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. You see how it works? And in order to understand what's going on, you have to imagine ancient Jerusalem and you have to imagine it surrounded by chaos and uncertainty and enemies. It's under siege. But despite that, inside the city, there's a strange and supernatural calm. In fact, there's a gladness. 
Where does that gladness come from? Look back at verse four. The gladness and the security and the courage inside the city comes from two things, a river and a house. First, the river. Um, now, everybody knows this. A city in crisis is always worried about supply lines, right? Um, we're worried about medical supplies. We're worried about food supplies. We're worried about toilet paper, right? And especially hand sanitizer. In ancient cities, it's the same, except they're worried about water. And that's why in an ancient city, if you have a river running through the city, if you're like a river city, um, you're golden because you've got a supply line coming right in every day. Now, the weird thing is, is Jerusalem wasn't a river city. They had springs, but they weren't, there's no big river running through Jerusalem. So what's this river that the psalm is talking about? We'll look at the second half of verse four. We find out Jerusalem is called the habitation of God, the home of God. And that's talking about the temple, the temple right in the middle of Jerusalem. Now, Jim, why is uh, the temple important and how does it create gladness in the midst of chaos? Well, the temple was a monument, a little bit like a monument, but it was a monument not to a past event. It was a monument to a present reality. The temple was a visible building that reassured everybody in the city that God was not on vacation, that God had not fled the city in the face of danger, that God was not retired, but rather God was with them right in the middle of it. God was right in the middle of the chaos. And you knew that because there was a temple in the middle. And therefore, when uh, Israel looks out and watches mountains falling apart and the oceans drying up and enemies surrounding them, and then the moment that they're tempted to conclude that maybe God has checked out on them, that maybe the God of the past who was faithful in the past maybe is no longer faithful, when they're tempted to think that way, they can look at the temple and there they can say, nope, 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 no, God is still here. God, the river is still running and the great supplier is still supplying. Now, I can hear somebody say, Jim, that's a lovely Bible lesson. But it doesn't help. And it doesn't help because we don't have a temple. Goodness, we're all on Zoom. We don't even have a church. And right now, I can imagine somebody saying, I'm alone, I'm lonely, I'm scared, I might be sick, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. Where's the gladness in that? Which is exactly the right question. And the answer is this, Emmanuel, we have something better than a temple. We have something better than a river. We have Jesus Christ. And you see, the temple was a monument, but Jesus is the real thing. Stay with me. Jesus is God in person. And listen, if anybody has street cred when it comes to suffering, it's Jesus. Think about his life. Um, he, as a child, as a baby, he barely escaped infanticide. As a child, he was a political refugee. As an adult, uh, he lived with the sick and with the poor. And he hung out with people with communicable diseases. And at age 33, they got him. And they incarcerated him unlawfully and unjustly. And then they executed him. Jesus is proof that God does not run out on us in the midst of a crisis. 
In fact, the opposite is true. If you look at Jesus, you will see a God who runs into the chaos, who runs into the problem and is closer to us than we ever dreamed. And there's more. Because do you remember the moment that Jesus dies? Do you remember what happened in the temple? So Jesus died just outside Jerusalem's uh, wall, but in, but you know, half a mile away was the temple. And inside the temple, there was a curtain. Now the curtain was like a big keep out sign. Um, you weren't supposed to pass the curtain because you weren't supposed to get into the most holy place where God's presence m dwelt most intensively. There's a big keep out sign. But the moment that Jesus died, miraculously, that keep out sign, that curtain ripped in half. Why does that matter? Well, because of this. It means that through Jesus's death, God's presence is fully distributed to God's people. It's not contained in the temple anymore. It's distributed to his people. Which means this, for everyone who trusts in Jesus, for everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ, we are to know God's presence with us now. Not, it's how you can know God's presence right now, even though we're just look, talking to each other through Zoom. Think of it this way. Jesus canceled the temple. And in his place, he made his people into his temple. Okay, pause. I can imagine somebody saying, Jim, we're a long way from talking about courage. To which I respond, no, we're not. Emmanuel, if, if we're going to be a people of courage, then we have to know that the Lord is with us. And we've got to be aware right now that God's spirit is out of the temple, distributed among us, that God's spirit has not left us. And we've got to know that the same Jesus who walked into hell for us is walking with us, despite whatever crisis may come. And I know we're unsettled. And we're a little scared. Well, consider this. Jesus experienced your vulnerability. He knows all about it. Jesus experienced your vulnerability so that you could receive his perfect security, the security of being in the presence of God right now. And another way to put that is that Jesus wants to meet you in the midst of your fears. And he wants to draw you to drink from the river and know his gladness. In fact, part of God's plan for you right now is that through whatever it is that you're facing in the moment and whatever you will face and we will face in the months to come, Jesus wants to use this season to draw you into a closeness and an intimacy with him that you have never known before. He's inviting you. He's calling you. He's summoning you. Respond. And we pray a little bit like this. Jesus, I'm lonely and I'm stressed and my job is threatened, and I'm really, really frightened. But despite all of that, Jesus, I have heard that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, and I have heard that you died to draw me into God's presence. So meet me, Jesus, in the midst of my fears. Let me, give me the ability to trust you because I don't have the ability to trust you on my own. Help me surrender to you. I don't know how to do that. Make it happen in my soul. You ever prayed like that? Pray like that. Emmanuel, that's the posture of courage. So cultivate a memory. Look at God in the past. 
Cultivate an awareness of his presence now. Look at God now in the face of Jesus Christ. And then finally, cultivate an expectation. Look at God, look for what God's going to do right now and in the near future. And here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Okay, stay with me. So far, we've been talking about what God wants to do in his own people. He wants us to look backwards. He wants us to uh, know and really surrender to his presence now. But then also think about this question. What does God want to do for the people uh, who are outside the church? What does God want to do for people who are irreligious or who maybe think that God is a bad idea? Well, verse 10 tells us the answer. Look at it. This is going to surprise some of us. When it says, be still and know that I am God, it is not talking about um, that moment in the morning when you huddled up with your coffee and, and you just want to be still and know that God is God. Do that. That's good. Everybody should do that. But that's not what this is talking about. This phrase or this uh, speech, be still and know that I am God, it's not talking to Israel. God's not talking to Jerusalem. God's not talking to Christians. And God's not primarily talking to religious people. The grammar in the original Hebrew switches at that point, And it indicates that God is speaking to the nations outside Jerusalem, the nations that are not Israel. Um, be still and know that I am God is God's word to people who are skeptical about him. It's God's word to everybody else. Another way to think about it is that God is not just for religious people, not just for ancient Israelites, not just for folks who show up on Sunday, but rather everything that God has done in us and in his people, God wants to do through us in the lives of people who don't even think he's a good idea. In other words, God looks, verse 10 tells us that God looks at New York City right now and he says, New York, be still. New York, I see the anxiety. New York, I see both your beauty and your brokenness. I see the tumult that's happening in your hearts and sometimes in the city. Be still and know me. I will be exalted in this city. I will be exalted in this crisis. Now, Emmanuel, if that's God's message to New York City, then it must be our message as well. Or better, if that's God's message to our city, then we should expect that God will use us to communicate that message in this moment and in this season. And that brings us back to where we started. Why is this uncertain time so important for us as a church? And the answer is because this is a critical moment for us to reflect Jesus in our city. This is a critical moment for us to act with courageous love and courageous action and courageous service. Um, just as Jesus enters into our chaos, so we get to be his ambassadors for others. And we should anticipate and expect that that's part of what God wants to do around us, in our neighbors, in our neighborhoods, in our buildings, on our streets, in any number of other places. And it's not because we're so important. It's because Jesus is. We can share the message with New York City, be still and know God. And you can be confident that God's going to be exalted in all of this. Anticipate that.
and that'll lead us to courage. And we do all of this for one real reason, because of verse 11. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.